be in 1 Peter uh, this morning. We're going to uh, start and end there in 1 Peter. This is uh, a pandemic message that was given over the internet to you uh, a few years ago. And it's been tweaked a little bit, but it really has the same uh, meaning and purpose and so I, I, the Lord laid it on my heart to do so, so let's uh, see what he has to say this morning. It's important that we see that. I, I started with a little uh, illustration. A young man went to take his driving test, and he did a great job, and on the uh, way back, the, got to the driving office, and the instructor got out and told the young man's dad, he said, you know, that boy almost did a perfect test. And he said, really? Well, what made it imperfect? He said, when we pulled up here after it was over, he said, I'm glad I don't have to drive like that all the time. So he didn't give him a perfect score. And you know, there's a lot of Christians like that today in our world. They uh, have standards when you walk in this door this glass door or any door in our church, you have a certain standard that you hold yourself to, but then a lot of people, a lot of Christians live a different standard outside the world, outside of the church. And we may not uh, realize that, but it's something that is important and that we can see. And I say that because of some statistics that I have found. Did you know that the third highest let me, I don't know how to phrase this exactly. It, as far as divorce is concerned in our country, uh, the first two professions that divorce the most are doctors and policemen. Do you know what the third is? Pastors. Can you believe that? Pastors is the third in our nation in divorce rate for an occupation. Uh, I, I was shocked when I read that, but, but that's the case. And that's where we find ourselves today. We put it on a front when we come to church, but we lower our standards when we walk out the doors. The difference between people today is that some go to church and some don't. And that's really the only difference. Many Christians watch the same movies that non-Christians watch. Many Christians watch the t same television shows that non-Christians watch. Many people uh, who are Christian businessmen have bad reputations in the community and in society. Did you know that the uh, sexual immorality is as much in the church as it is outside of the church? Young people, single people that go to church have as much promiscuity with them as the people that don't go to church at all. So with all of that being said this morning, there's no other scripture in the Bible that I believe should be burned into every believer's heart than 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. So let's stand together and read what God has to say to us who profess Jesus Christ as our Lord. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Therefore, Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to see the importance of that text in our life today, and where we live and how we live and what we show and what we portray to people and, and how we handle situations in our world and life and even in our church. Father, give us strength to carry out your word and to live it and to fulfill it. And Father, speak to every heart in this room today. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, the Bible says there at the end of that, for you and I to be holy. And you know the, the term holy, and we all understand that now, I hope, means to be separate, to be different, to be distinct. So the, God quotes that as He is holy, you and I are to be holy. So what does it mean for God to be holy? It means that He is above and beyond His creation. He's not uh, tied to it, so to speak. He's not held back by it he's beyond it he's above it and so that's holiness and that's what God wants you to be you live in this world but he wants you to be different than the world he wants you to be above the world he wants you to be beyond the world so that's what he means by the term holy you know there's three aspects of Holiness that you and I could look at because we know that it's difficult for us to be holy because we live in a fallen nature. It's easy for him. There's no sin in him. But it's not so easy for you and I to be holy because there's sin in us. And so how does he tell us to be holy like he is holy? Well, let's, let's look at that a little closer. Uh, there's some aspects of holiness. Number one. When you were saved, you were positionally holy to God. In other words, God set you apart from the world when you were saved. So remember, holiness means to be set apart. So positionally, you're set apart when you became a Christian. In Scripture, it teaches us that we are to grow in holiness. The word sometimes in your Bible might say sanctification. That means to grow in holiness. Here's what it says in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, if I can get that thing to work. Whoa, that went way too far. Come on, computer. It's sensitive today. Here we go. Hebrews 12. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. Holiness is parentheses by me, without which no one will see the Lord. So, the writer tells us to pursue peace with everybody and holiness. Because without that holiness, you won't see God. So, as we are set apart at our salvation, positionally holy, now we are to progress in our holiness. We are to grow in that holiness. Then when we meet the Lord, we complete that holiness. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 3. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. 
And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So don't think of holiness as perfection. Okay, think of holiness as a direction that God is sending you. He wants you to grow in that holiness. He wants you to pursue that holiness. He wants you to understand that you don't get to heaven by being holy. First of all, your works will never pay your debt. So you can't earn your way to heaven by being holy. You can't earn your way. The only way that you can get into heaven is by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So as we learn that and we start to live that way, we call that faith. And my faith in Jesus should be genuine enough that my life progresses in holiness. There's a lot of things that I stopped doing when I was saved. There are a lot of things that I have shed or the Lord has taken off of me as I have walked the Christian life. There are still a lot of things He needs to drag off of me. But I am headed towards that holiness. You see that? There are days that I mess up and I fall short and I fall off the path. But God picks me up and dusts me off and sets me back on it, and I keep going. I've been back there, amen. I don't want to go back there anymore. I want to go this way. And that's what God is telling us. To be holy as He is holy. To be different. To be set apart. To be known as a believer. We can call that alien living. We don't belong here anymore as believers. This is not our home. This is not the end for us. We belong there. We are strangers and pilgrims in this place. But while we are here, we have to live for God and to God. And I'm calling that today alien living or holy living. And that's what God wants to teach you and I this morning. Remember, without that type of living, you won't see the Lord without that progression in holiness. You won't see God. If you were saved and it was genuine, you will be progressing towards holiness. You don't get saved and then stop. And you don't get saved and go back. And you don't get saved and turn around and go another direction. You always are going down that path if that salvation faith was genuine. Amen? We're all growing. In holiness. So let's go a little deeper and see what he's talking about and how we can live this holy life. Number one, he wants us to see that we need to keep our focus on the Lord's return. Look in verse 13 again. Therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when He comes back, I want my mind to be thinking about that. That's how I live a holy life. When I'm tempted to do something else, when I'm tempted to get off the path, when I'm tempted to fall by the wayside, Peter says, Keep your focus on when He comes back. 
and think about what He's bringing to you. He's going to fulfill all the promises that He ever made to us. And He's calling that grace. Think about the grace that God's bringing with Him when He comes to get you. When you die and go before Him, however that works out, think about that moment when you're tempted to fall by the wayside. That should be enough to motivate you to get back up and get on the path. To think about what God has in store for you. He says there that we should prepare our minds for action. Roll up your sleeves, brother. Pull up your boots by the straps. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Prepare for action as one who means business. You know, I had a guy a few years ago ask me, What's your favorite verse in the Bible? I thought, wow, I didn't have one picked out. And it wasn't but just about two years ago that I was reading one day in my Bible, and I came across this verse, and it has become my favorite verse. Maybe not of all time, but for today, it's my favorite verse, and the Lord brought it to my mind as I was preparing for this. It's found in 1 Corinthians 16. It says this, Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. That's what Peter's telling us to do here in this text. I need that burned in my heart. I don't want to be a 50-50 statistic of a believer and the world. I don't want to look like the world. When people look at me and you, don't you want to be known as a follower of Christ? Don't you want to be known as different Giving Him glory and honor, not just with your mouth, but the way that you live your life. So act like men. Be strong. Be alert. Grow up is what He's telling us to do. This holiness begins in my thought life. Look what He says there in verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. What you think will end up being how you live. What you think will end up being what you do. What do I need to do then, Brother Clay? When a wicked thought comes into your mind, judge it. Take it to court. Put a sentence upon it. Deny it. Flee from it mentally or even physically when a temptation comes your way. Take it to the Lord and let Him judge it. Confess it to Him. Replace that thought with a good thought. It says in 2 Corinthians 10, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You see that? When you have a bad thought, a sinful thought, a temptation that comes into your mind, take it to court. Judge it right there. Take it to Jesus and let Him condemn it. That's what will happen. That's how you live a holy life. That's how you look different. That's how you walk that path that God desires for you to be on. It all begins in your thought life. Listen to me. Your thought life is, uh, the level of your thought life determines whether your Christianity is real 
or fake. All right? Now, you can say one thing and do another. That is fake. You can say you're a follower of Christ, but you go out those doors and you live like the world. That's fake. Your thought level determines whether your Christianity is real or fake. Now, you can't stop thoughts from coming into your mind. But what you do with them is you judge them immediately. You take them captive to Christ. And He'll deal with it for you. That is how we remain alert. That is how we prepare our mind for action. We guard ourselves against these things. Think about this. Would you honestly go down here to the dump site and start eating out of it? No. We wouldn't do that. We guard our stomachs against things like that. We want to put good things, sweet things, wholesome things into our stomach. So the same way, guard your mind like you guard your stomach. Don't eat trash with your mind. Don't watch trash on television. When something comes up, you, the Holy Spirit immediately gives you that warning flag. And He says, don't watch this. But you know what we do? 30 years ago, we'd have to get out of the chair and go up to the TV and change the channel. Today, we can hit a stupid button on a remote in our lap. But we don't do that. We think, oh, it's nothing. It's okay. What are you doing? You're putting trash in your mind. You're filling your mind with trash. Trash in, trash out. Amen? So start changing the channel. Start watching something that's wholesome. Mom and dads, pay attention to what your kids are doing on the phone, on the iPad, on the television when you're not around. Know what's going on in their life. Take control of that and be strong and guard them. It says here in Peter chapter 5 that our adversary is like a lion roaming about looking for someone to devour. Think of that like this, mom and dad. If you knew and got on a news alert that there was a lion had escaped in the Aaron Springs area, would you go tell your kids to run out in that field and go play? Of course you wouldn't. You would lock them down in the house, you would lock the doors, and you would be looking out every window for the lion that is loose in Aaron Springs. But yet today, we let our kids roam around on the internet, not paying attention to what they're seeing, learning, or knowing, or watching. Peter is telling us, prepare your minds for action. Be on the alert. You and I are living in enemy territory. We have to be on guard about that. And so, we focus on Jesus' return and what He's going to bring us. We keep ourselves sober. You know, that's a, that's a, a term that Peter liked. Six times that's used in the New Testament. Peter used it three times. Sober in spirit. What is he saying? To be self-controlled. To be clear-minded. To make good and sound judgments. Pay attention is what he's telling us to do. Now the last thing about being focused on Christ 
And what He's doing when He comes is that we have this hope on the grace that He is giving us. We think about what He's bringing to us when He comes back and what He's going to do. And we fix our hope on that. That should motivate us to live a holy life. What's He going to give you when He shows up? What's He going to say to you? That person who looks like the world, but you're going to church. That person that lives like the world lives, but you're going to church. What's Christ going to say to you when He comes to bring you home? You understand that should motivate us to live this holy life. To be holy people or to be living in an alien world, we need to be obedient to the Father. Look in verse 14 with me. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance. There's three things again here about alien living and, and, and being obedient to the Father. And one of them is this, that you must make a break from your past lifestyle. I remember when Gail and I were saved, and you know that was one of the most difficult things that we went through as new Christians was walking away from our past. We both wanted it, we both needed it, but it was hard to say adios to your friends. Adios to your family. Adios to all the people that you had been running with all these years in your life. I make it sound like it was really difficult. It wasn't that difficult, but it was a necessity for all believers to make a break from your past life. To be obedient to your heavenly Father. That's what He's asking us to do. That word conformed there is used one other time in the Scriptures, and you know where that's at. Romans 12, 2, Paul writes, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. There's that mind thing again. Prepare your mind for action don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He talks about lust. That's not sexual lust only. That's what we associate the word lust with. Someone lusts for another person. But that lust is involved and can be considered in all kinds of self-seeking sin. Amen? You don't have to lust after a person. You can lust after anything. And what happens to the world is that the devil holds sway over them because the world follows their selfish desires. And so they lust after self-gratification. I want to be fulfilled. I want to have. I want to go. I want to do. I want to be. I want to experience. And all of those avenues are wide open to the devil to fill you with the lust of your selfishness. And so the Bible is telling us, don't be conformed to those former lusts which was yours in your ignorance. Right? We have to get away from those. Believers are free from that lusting of selfishness. You don't have to do that anymore. You find fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He is enough. 
He takes care of all of the lusting things in my life. He wraps it all up for us. Whether you're married or single, Jesus is enough to fill you and keep you full. Today, we have a shallow faith of people in churches all around. They want to be saved. They don't want to go to hell. So they invite Jesus to come in and be the mayor. And they give Him the office of their heart, the mayor's office. And then they take their selfish desires to the mayor. And they say, Mayor, I want you to accomplish this for me. Or I'm going to vote you out of office if you don't. And so we got churches full of people who say they're saved and they're following Christ, but they're living selfishly. And they're wanting Jesus to take care of their needs, their selfish needs, to provide them, to satisfy them, to gratify them. That's not salvation. That's not being saved. Salvation is repentance from selfish gratification. Repentance from selfishness. That's what's wrong in the church today. That's why this church isn't full. That's why people outside say, oh, I don't have to go to church to be saved. No, you can be saved anywhere. But once you're saved, you'll want to be here. Amen? You'll want to come and worship God. You'll want to be a part of His family. The real saving faith of a man is when he repents, not when he adds Jesus into the mayor's office of his heart. And so we have to be careful of that. Make a break from your past. Uh, the second thing I want you to see is that you must establish a habit of obedience. It says there in verse 14, as obedient children. That is a Hebrew term meaning to be characterized as obedient. These people are already obedient. It is implied there that they have a father whom they now obey. Think about that. You have a father, an earthly father, when you were growing up and you were obedient to him, or you got a tail whipping, right? And so it's the same way with God. He is our heavenly father. Therefore, as his children, we need to follow him in obedience. We don't slough him off. We don't close our ears to him and think that we are remaining children. We don't do those things as obedient children. Since you are obedient, then you need to uh, not be conformed to this world. That's what he's trying to tell us to do. Now, he works for us. He instructs us. He's not asking you to become legalistic. He's just wanting you to be obedient to Him. The third thing I want you to see is that you need to make a distinction between the sacred and the secular. Alright? What do I mean by that? Just what I started this message with. The church looks like the world according to statistics. Why? Because there is no erasing of the distinction between us and the world. The church is looking like the world, and the world is looking like the church. Because nobody has erased the distinction. Right? That's gone. It should be gone. We need to erase that distinction. And everything in my life is sacred. 
I don't live a life in here in front of you and then I go over to that parsonage and I live a secondary life. I don't live a life in the church and then go to work as you do on Monday morning and live a different kind of life. You understand? That doesn't happen in Christianity. Everything is sacred now for us. Everything we do, everything we say, Everything we desire is sacred for us now. There has been no distinction between the church and the world as of late. I challenge you today, believer, make that in your life. Make a distinction in your life. When, the, when you go to work from now on, make it known that you're a Christian. Doesn't matter what they say, does it? They're not going to judge you. What can man do to me? Make that distinction. Make your life different. There is a separation between the sacred and the secular. The problem is we don't have it in our lives today. We want everything in the same. Here's one way to do that. Here's one way to accomplish that. When you come to church, you wouldn't do in here what you do out there. That will help you make the distinction. You wouldn't dare do in here what you've done out there. Make the distinction. Live in here out there as well. Be different. Honor God. Be glorifying to Him. It doesn't mean that you should live in perfection, but it means you should live in integrity. When they tell an off-colored or a rotten or vulgar joke, walk away from it. You don't have to say a word. Just get up and walk away from that crowd of people. When they do something that's wrong, get up and walk away. And I'll promise you, somebody will uh, mention it. Somebody will say something about it. Now's your chance to say, I'm a follower of Christ and I don't live like that anymore. I don't do that anymore. And you know what? You'll get mocked and ridiculed and laughed at. But I would rather be embarrassed here than to be embarrassed when I stand before my Lord. Amen? Okay? So think about it. There's a way that we are to live as obedient children. We are to keep our focus on His return. That helps us to live as aliens. We are to be obedient to our Father. That helps us to live. And one more point I want to make with you is this, that it means that we should be growing in our personal knowledge of God. Alright? Look in verse 15. It says, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This text there implies that I know this God that calls Himself holy. Let me ask you, do you know Him that way? Do you know this holy God who calls Himself holy? The Christian life then is growing in this knowledge of God as He reveals it to you as you read the Bible. Alright? That's really the only place you're going to get this knowledge of God is reading your Bible. You're going to hear a message from here once in a while about you growing in the knowledge of God, but few and far between. 
You need to learn about who God is yourself. You need to learn as He reveals Himself to you as you read the Bible. And ask Him to do such. Before you sit down and open your Bible in the evening or in the morning when you read your Bible, say, God, reveal Yourself to me today as I read Your Word. And I promise you, He will fulfill that request. Because that's what He wants to do. He wants to make Himself known to you. And the reason we struggle with looking different than the world is because we don't know how to act when we're out in it. Because we're not acting as His children. And so we need to know Him so that we can begin to act like Him. How many of you have ever made a judgment on a father by his children? How many of you have made a judgment on a father by his children? We all have. How many people are making a judgment on your father by his children? You see, we need to live obediently, focused on Christ's return, and we need to live in such a way that we are growing in the knowledge of our Heavenly Father. He is holy. Too many people don't grasp what that means, the holiness of God. Did you know this? It's the only attribute in Scripture that is lifted to the third degree. We don't go around saying God is love, love, love. We don't go around saying grace, 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 forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. But we do go around saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Too many people have a shallow view of the holiness of God. I've told you this before. John MacArthur tells this illustration of a man who came to him and said, you know, uh, as a Christian, he said, every morning when I'm shaving in front of the mirror, Jesus comes and he to my bathroom and he puts his arm around me and we have a discussion. And John MacArthur says, and you keep shaving? He says, do you know what men and women do in the Scriptures when they see the glorified Jesus Christ? They fall on their face. They faint in fear. And you keep shaving. What a shallow view of the holiness of God. Think about that. What is your view of His holiness? What is He doing in your life? You know, I can think of no other man, really, maybe Moses, that was confronted with the holiness of God beyond Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. He has a vision of the throne room of God. And he sees the Ancient of Days setting on the throne, and the train of His robe fills the temple. Amen? And the angels are around the Lord saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What is Isaiah's response? He has a violently emotional 
response. We don't read it like that in Scripture, but I'll promise you that's what it was like. And he said, Woe is me! Because I'm a sinful man. And I live among a people who are sinful. And my eyes have seen the Lord. And all of the sin of Isaiah's life came pouring upon him at that moment. Can you imagine that? All of your sin coming before you at one moment in time. And Isaiah cries that out. And God takes an angel and has him anoint Isaiah to cleanse him of that sin. In the same moment of his sin being revealed to him by the presence of a holy God, God offers him grace. That's what he's doing for you and for me today. Start seeing God like that. Because that's who He is. He came as the Lamb, gentle and humble. But the next time you see Him, you will cry out, Woe is me! Because I'm a sinful man. And I live among a people who are sinful. But God gives grace. Think about it, my friend. That's what God wants you to see of who He is. I believe that's what Isaiah felt and witnessed and experienced in that day. What is your knowledge of God in that respect? That should drive you to obedience to Him. That should drive you to your knees in repentance of Him. I believe today there is somebody in this room that needs to repent. I believe in this room today there is somebody who needs their life changed. I believe today there's somebody who needs to be saved for the first time in their life. I believe there are people in this room who have been faking it. I believe you say it, but you don't live it out there. I believe there's people here today that are doing just that. I believe there are people here who are not dealing with their sin in their life, in their thought life. They're just letting it run rampant. They're letting the devil devour them at his will in their life. I believe there's others here who have drifted away from God. And you are not right with Him. And you know that right now as you're hearing this message preached to you. I believe there's people in all three of these groups. And I want you to know something. The solution is the same for all of you. Come to Jesus. That's the solution. Turn to God and He will help you, and He will heal you. Remember the man who saw Him on the throne? Well, look what that man wrote in Isaiah 57. For thus says the high and exalted One, who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is high and above His creation. He dwells there on that high and holy place. But He also dwells in the heart of men who will bend their knee to Him, 
who will humble themselves before Him, who will repent of their sin and turn to Him. That's where He dwells as well. God wants to dwell in you, my friend. You may have been a religious person all of your life, been baptized as a kid, but you've never thought about God the way the Scripture describes Him to you today. You can come and have that restored and renewed in your spirit and in your humble state. You can learn who God is and understand what He wants to do. God chooses to dwell in the humble heart of a man. In the repentant heart of a man. Let me say this. The greatest miracle that God could ever do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy. And then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy. That's what God does to people who look for the return of Christ, who are obedient to their heavenly Father, and who are growing in the knowledge of this holy God. Are you one of those? The greatest miracle He could ever do is take an unholy man out of an unholy world, make him holy, put him back, and keep him holy. Why don't you do that today? Why don't you be saved today? Why don't you return to Him today? Maybe you're saved. You've never been baptized. Why don't you come? Let's make arrangements for that. I would love to baptize you. Whatever your need is, God is willing to fulfill it at this altar. But you have to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word today and how it spoke to our heart. And I pray that every heart is bleeding Jesus Christ right now. I pray, Lord, that you are on our mind and that we see you on that throne as Isaiah saw you high and lifted up. And Lord, we are your creation and we are humbling ourselves before you now, asking your spirit to have mercy and grace upon us. And we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.